welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we're going to be looking at the case of B&L and Playboy Club London Limited in the citation for this case, 2018 UKSC 43. And like all good cases, this starts in a casino and involves high stakes gambling. The casino in question is also one of the parties in this case, the Playboy Club London. Meanwhile, the gambler was a chap called Hassan Barakat, and he wanted to play with an amount of up to £800,000. In such situations, it was the practice of the club to ensure that they got a credit reference from the individual's bank for twice the amount, which in this case would be £1.6 million. Barakat's bank was Banca Nazionale del Lavoro, or BNL, who are the other party involved in this case. Anyway, this whole arrangement is rather sensitive, so the reference was requested via a third party called Burlington, who will become relevant later on in our discussion. BNL gave the relevant assurance to Burlington, but the problem was that while it was true that Barakat was in the process of opening a bank account with BNL, there weren't actually ever any funds in the account. Clearly, this was part of an elaborate plan, because it turned out that the cheques were fake as well. Barakat had some success at the casino and made off with £427,400 in quote-unquote winnings before leaving the country never to be seen again. By the time the cheques were returned, the total cost to the Playboy Club was in excess of £800,000 after taxes and other such expenses. It was clear that the reference should not have been given, but Playboy's claim was problematic because while there was a relationship between BNL and Burlington, it was disputed whether BNL owed a duty of care to Playboy. The High Court found that such a duty did exist, but the Court of Appeal disagreed and instead held that a duty was only owed to the party to whom the representation was made, i.e. Burlington. Playboy appealed to the Supreme Court, and that's where we pick the case up. Now, for students out there who have studied tort law, this discussion of negligent misstatement will be all too familiar, and immediately bring to mind the case of Hedley Byrne and Heller from 1964. For those who are less familiar, it used to be the case that any liability for negligent misstatement was reliant on a contractual relationship between the parties. Hedley Byrne changed this by allowing for a claim in tort law where the defendant also known as the representor, has a special skill that the claimant relies on to her detriment. So long as this relationship is sufficiently proximate, then that will give rise to a duty of care, although it is interesting and relevant to note that the actual claim in Hedleyburn failed because there had been a disclaimer by the representor, such that there could not be said to be an assumption of responsibility. At first glance, it appears that this rule is satisfied in this instance, as there is an indirect relationship between the parties to this case, and there was reliance by Playboy on BNL's specialist knowledge in its role as a bank. However, the Supreme Court also noted that another important factor is the representor's actual knowledge of the purpose that their representation is informing. This includes not only the fact that such communication and reliance is taking place, but also the identity of the party to whom they are becoming accountable. As we mentioned earlier, the whole reason that Burlington were used as an intermediary was to preserve a level of anonymity, and so it cannot be said that the defendants in this case, BNL, had a sufficient level of knowledge about the transaction. 
However, this was not the full extent of the argument put forward by Playboy. We have already established that there is no direct contractual relationship between Playboy and BNL, but there was an interesting case made that the relationship was equivalent to a contract. This is on slightly shaky ground from the start because it relies on Playboy being an undisclosed principal of Burlington. What exactly does this mean? Well, there is a principal-agent relationship between Playboy and Burlington because the latter was acting on behalf of the former. However, this was not revealed to BNL, and so for legal purposes this is known as an undisclosed principle. Due to a rather odd quirk in the law, such an undisclosed principle like Playboy can be regarded as a party to the contract. The justices did not exactly close this loophole, but in the context of this case they did place some significant restrictions on its operation. Thus, while there is a contractual relationship, there is an important distinction to be made between this as a relationship in law as opposed to a relationship in fact. In particular, the proximity between the parties is a key issue and needs to be established in order for there to be a duty of care. That proximity has to first be established in fact, i.e. the actual relationship between the parties based on the scenario in the case itself, before the legal rules are applied. The problem here is that the relationship between the representor and the undisclosed principal might well be a legal relationship in the sense that it is recognised by the law, but that does not necessarily mean that there is a factual relationship, because for that we instead have to look at the facts of the case itself. All of this is a little confusing, and I'm not sure that my explanation has made it much easier to digest, especially in a podcast, but essentially it comes back to the justices asking one simple question. Based on the facts of the case, can it be said that BNL voluntarily assumed responsibility with respect to Playboy? The answer, given that the representation was made to Burlington and Playboy were an undisclosed party, has to be no, and so the appeal was dismissed. When it comes to analysing this case, a useful place to start is the concurring judgement of Lord Mance, who reviewed the law in this area and noted that there are two requirements that must be met in order for it to be said that there is a duty of care. Firstly, the representation has to exist in respect of a specific transaction or a group related transactions. And secondly, the request for the information has to come from a specific identifiable person or company. This is interesting because it can be argued that Playboy are successful in respect of the first requirement, because the transaction in question does not change throughout the case. In other words, both Burlington and Playboy are after a credit reference from BNL. For Lord Mance, it is the second ground where things go awry, and thus why he eventually concurs with his colleagues in the Supreme Court. The request for information comes from Burlington and not Playboy, who only become identifiable after the fact. In theory, this whole area of law around pure economic loss should operate rather simply, but it rarely seems to end up that way and the courts have often ended up with difficult circles to square since Hedleyburn was decided back in the 1960s. In fact, even that case itself was not straightforward with the claim eventually failing. Over the years, judges have often spoken about taking the principle of Hedleyburn further and there may be cause for doing so in certain contexts, but in my view the main aim needs to be about shoring up the law as it currently stands. 
If you think about the traditional tort case where someone gets injured and is compensated accordingly, everything is very practical and usually easy to work out. The damage and the loss tend to manifest themselves in the most literal sense and can be worked out equitably by the court. The problem here is that the damage is caused by a representation and is thus much harder to calculate. That has always put a spanner in the works and led to some strange results such as in this case. What do you think is a fair result in this situation? On the surface it seems unfair that Playboy have lost out because of a mistake that has clearly been made by BNL and caused them significant economic harm. However the deeper point is whether we really want the courts to set a precedent that information a representor gives can potentially become enforceable by a completely unknown third party at some point in the future. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly Podcast. Thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. I'll be back with another case to analyse next week. But in the meantime, bye!